What's up, guys? Welcome back inside yet another episode of Big Easy in the Big Apple. It's your host, Chris Rosvoglu. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Rosvoglu Report, R-O-S-V-O-G-L-O-U Report, and on Instagram at Saints underscore podcast. That, that one's obviously a little bit uh, simpler for you guys at home. Now, before I get into it, just remember, if you love the content and you want to see me doing more, whether it's recap videos on YouTube, Instagram TV, um, Q&As on either one. Just remember to support the podcast. It definitely means a lot. Um, and also come with cool perks. And I'm also, like I said, I would love to have fans on express themselves. Um, I still need to get that link worked out real quick for the voice message. But once it's up, I'm going to put that out there. So after the Titans game, someone's going to be on air for at least a minute venting or celebrating a win uh, against Tennessee Titans, which we'll talk about later on in the show. But let's get into the real meat of what's going to go on in this episode. And I want to get down to business and talk about number nine and what Drew Brees was able to do on Monday night football for about the gazillionth time in his NFL career, which is just dominate the opposition. And he was fantastic. Dare I say that is the best we've seen Drew Brees look in a couple of seasons now. And I know that's saying a lot because you're talking about an all time great who has been one of the best at his position for a decade. And yet something was different about what happened on Monday night against the Colts. Drew Brees was on a different level. And I kept saying throughout the year, and it wasn't just me, so it's not like I'm some prophet here telling you something bold, but the notion was last year Drew Brees' arm looked tired down the stretch. Well, he missed five games this year. Now it's due to injury, but his shoulder, his actual arm gets rest, and look at him now. He's firing on all cylinders. The last two games, Drew Brees has thrown for 656 yards, nine touchdowns, no picks. I don't know about you, but that's a ridiculous stat line. And mind you, he's done it against the 49ers and then against a pretty good Colts team. Um, And what he's been able to do this season is nothing short of amazing. He's already got almost 2,500 passing yards, 21 touchdowns, only four picks. He's having such a good season. Now, let's compare him to a guy like Baker Mayfield, who's playing a whole year. Baker, 17 touchdowns, so four less touchdown passes, yet 17 picks. That just shows you how efficient, how good Drew Brees has been this year. But it's not just about this season, is it? The whole reason I'm talking about number nine here is to get into what everyone wants to hear, what everyone wants to talk about. Where does Drew Brees rank all time? And I think that's a discussion that it always depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to a New England fan, they're not going to give you the time of day to even put Drew Brees in the top five. If you're talking to a Colts fan or a 49ers fan or a Dolphins fan, they probably won't do the same either because at the end of the day, if you have an all-time great quarterback, you are so defensive over yours that you don't look at the big picture of who else belongs in the conversation for greatest of all time, top three, top five, whatever it may be. And a lot of people were saying, you know, the record shouldn't mean that Drew Brees is a top 10, top five quarterback. Let me tell you something. If Drew Brees isn't in your top 10, then you simply just don't know football. And that's the easiest way and nicest way to put it because if stats mean a lot, for example, in the NBA, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is undoubtedly a top 10 player in the NBA. And the biggest reason why is because what? 
He's the stat king, most points scored, won a bunch of MVPs, the guy would score from anywhere on the court. So if a guy who's number one in every positive statistic when it comes to quarterback play, completion percentage, passing yards, passing touchdowns, completions, attempts, all of that, why wouldn't he be in the top 10? That's the, that's the thing for me. And forget about top 10. I think if anyone's realistic and doesn't have a bias against number nine, you're putting Drew Brees in your top 10. But now let's move to top five. That's where it gets interesting. Let me tell you two names right off the bat that not only do I think they are greater than Drew Brees, you have to put them in your top five, and it's Tom Brady and Joe Montana. You can't argue with four for four and being one of the best players in football all time and one of the most clutch football players ever, if not the most clutch. And you can't argue with a guy who has six rings and amazing statistics in Tom Brady. So those two are already in. They're sitting at the table nicely enjoying the top five conversation. Then we get into the real argument of who belongs there. Does Peyton Manning belong there? Well, sure, I think he does. But anyone so quick to say Peyton Manning's better than Drew Brees has to riddle me this. What was Peyton Manning's big claim to being the GOAT? It was he had all these glossy numbers. Well, Drew Brees now has better numbers than him because he's passed him in yards and touchdowns back-to-back seasons. Oh, well, you know, Peyton Manning didn't get to play. Um, you know, as he wasn't that healthy compared to where Drew's healthy at 40. Don't give me that because the reality is that when Peyton was in his prime, his teams were loaded. Everyone talks about Michael Thomas breaking Marvin Harrison's record or on pace to do so, and they say, well, you know, the NFL's changed. Don't give me that. What Michael Thomas is doing is impressive. And when Indianapolis had Marvin Harrison breaking those records, Peyton Manning also had Reggie Wayne. And when Reggie Wayne was the number one, he also had Dallas Clark. And when Dallas Clark was good, they also had Pierre Garçon. And then he went to Denver, and he got Wes Welker and Demarius Thomas and Eric Decker and Emmanuel Sanders and so on and so forth. Peyton Manning's always had loaded rosters, so I don't want to hear any excuses for that guy. And then let's just talk about Super Bowls. So yeah, Peyton has two. We all know that. But his first win was against Rex Grossman, and his second win, he didn't do anything. I mean, they won in spite of Peyton Manning, the Denver Broncos, with that you know amazing defense led by Von Miller and Demarcus Ware. How about his Super Bowl losses? Well, uh, he got embarrassed by Seattle, forty-three to eight, in one of the most embarrassing performances in Super Bowl history, and he lost to oh who? Drew Brees. And when Drew Brees won the Super Bowl, you can make an argument there that. The quarterbacks he beat were all, and not even make the argument, they all are Hall of Famers. Hall of Famer Kurt Warner, Hall of Famer Brett Favre, and Hall of Famer Peyton Manning. Beat all those three. And I'm not here to tell you that Drew Brees is definitely greater than Peyton Manning. Now, do I think he is? Yes. But if Peyton Manning's in your top five, well, guess what? Drew Brees is right next to him. I mean, they're neck and neck. And then that leaves you with number five. Who are you putting in? Is it Dan Marino? Is it John Elway? Is it Bradshaw? Is it Aikman? I don't care who you put in, but I personally, if I'm going to say, I would go with either Marino or Elway. I probably would lean towards Marino. And here's why. I look at Marino the way I look at Drew Brees. You can't fault someone for not having a bunch of team awards if his team wasn't that good. His team was good early, and then his team wasn't that great towards the end. Similar with Drew Brees. Drew Brees has one ring, and everyone's going, where, where are the Super Bowls? You're one guy on a 53-man roster. There's only so much you can control. And even when you control all of that, guess what? Things can still go wrong. You can put up 30-plus on the 49ers and still lose. You can come back against the Vikings and your safety misses a tackle. You can play well against the Rams and the refs blow a call. You can play well against the Seahawks and they can't tackle Marshawn Lynch. I can go through all these supernatural losses and tell you the reality is when you're ranking greatest of all time, you need to take circumstances into everything. And... You can't just put your blinders on. I think Drew Brees is great, but I'm not going to dare tell you he's the greatest of all time because the reality is Drew needs a little bit more on that resume to even sniff 
greatest of all time. Because unfortunately, you're talking about Brady, who's been there, done that, and he's got good numbers. And then you're talking about Montana, who is the definition of perfection. Not losing a Super Bowl. Not throwing a pick in a Super Bowl. Those are impressive numbers. You can't argue with it. But after those two, that's it. And that's why, for me, I think he's the third greatest of all time. And I'm not changing my stance on that. I, I do feel that way. But now, I'm going to switch subjects. But before I do, just let me know who you think belongs in the top three, top five. And where would you rank Drew? Would you rank him in that top three? Would you rank him in that top five? I know some of you Saints fans are going to say he's the GOAT, and that's fine. I can't argue with it. There's a sentimental connection there. There's a bond between New Orleans and Drew that's just unlike any other quarterback-city combo. So if that's your case, then I'm not going to argue with it. But I think it's definitely interesting to see where people would rank Drew. Um, as for the disrespect, I'm never going to get it. He's a great guy. He's a great teammate. He's a great leader. He's a great player. Um, and the fact that people dis disrespect him, shame on them. Uh, and I'll never understand it at all. Next up, let's just talk about the team's performance against the Colts. I'm going to do this briefly. Reality is they played, what is it, three days ago by the time you're listening to this episode. I'll say this. I thought it was their most complete game. I didn't think there was a weakness there besides the pass rush just not hitting home against a good Colts offensive line. But the crowd was great. The run game was pretty good. The passing game was effective. Drew Brees is clicking. Drew Brees is making throws we haven't seen him make in years. He's juking out defenders like Quincy Wilson. Traquan Smith's becoming a factor. Jared Cook just continues to play better. And Alvin Kamara, he didn't have the touchdowns and he didn't have the you know wow plays. 14 carries for 66 yards is pretty impressive in my opinion. And Murray also playing well. Um, and when your quarterback goes 29 for 30, you had a damn good day. And, and that's the way I'm going to put it. They started off slow, and then the Saints just dominated the rest of that game. I thought it was their best performance. Um, my one concern, like I said, pass rush. Um, but other than that, secondary was good. Special teams blocked the punt. Your quarterback had an all-time great performance. And your running game was good, and you were balanced. Saints threw the ball 30 times. Well, guess what? They also ran the ball a bunch of times. 14 carries for Kamara, 9 for Murray, 3 for Washington, 2 for Zach Line, 2 for Taysom Hill. Team ran the ball really uh, really well, too. So I, I just love that performance overall from the Saints. Now, before I go into the second half where I tell you what's going to go down with Saints-Titans, let's talk about a pickup that happened um, before the Saints actually played on Monday night, Janoris Jenkins. I went on record on Twitter saying I didn't think the Saints should claim Janoris Jenkins. I said they, I didn't think they need him. Well, I am going to be honest. I'm going to be accountable. I was wrong. The Saints actually do need Janoris Jenkins. And I actually, looking back on it, I don't know why I was so stubborn on that topic. I think the Saints made a good move claiming him. And it's not me just flipping my stance because the Saints claimed him and because I actually do have a personal connection with someone very close to Jenkins. I respect that person a lot. It's because the Saints need a versatile corner who can play outside when Eli Apple's struggling or play inside when the Saints need to move P.J. Williams around. And a guy who can make plays because the Saints defense stops the run. They play well on third down, but it feels like they're missing that guy who's just a playmaker, has a knack for getting the ball. Um, and Jenkins seems like that guy. Four picks this year, still a good veteran. And I get what he did was wrong. The tweet was insensitive. His apology did not count. I totally get it. I'm for people who think that everything he went about that was so insincere. But here's the deal. The Saints are on the verge of making another playoff run. If you can add another good player, you take that. And if he's not actually doing something that's a crime, like he's not beating someone, he's not hurting his team, I think you take the shot and you hope that the guy sees the light at the end of the tunnel and says, I got to focus here, focus on football, and that's it. Because nothing else matters. You go to bed 
on a three and 10 giants team and you wake up on 11 and three saints team, you had a good day. And I, I think Jenkins is going to play well for them. And I really do. I like that pickup. I think we're going to see him instantly play on Sunday. And here's the thing. Eli Apple continues to struggle and Eli Apple now can't afford to struggle because the minute he struggles, the saints are going to sit him on the bench. So not only do you get a, a motivated Eli Apple for the rest of the season, you get an insurance policy for next year. You have a veteran corner who wants to win. And now Janoris Jenkins is your number two. Jenkins was playing decent, not great, but decent as the number one of the Giants. You shift him down to number two. Let Lattimore do his business. By the way, Marshawn was phenomenal on Monday night. And all of a sudden you're cooking. And then Von Bell comes back from injury. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's good. And, and then this team really gets the ball rolling on defense. And the best way to help up help out your pass rush, which is depleted by injury, is add more DBs. They tried to get Terrell Suggs. They couldn't do it because of the waiver wire. But they got a good DB in Jenkins. I like what he's going to be able to do for this Saints team. And we're going to see him in action on Sunday. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. Um, Saints also picked up DJ Swearinger. I think he's a good vet. I think it's a, a system thing. Um, when you saw him in the Redskins scheme, he played well. Kind of balled out the Redskins for the way they handle business. They cut him. He goes to the Raiders. Doesn't work out there. They cut him. So which Swearinger is it? I think they'll get a decent uh, you know, veteran who could come in on Sunday with Von Bell out and play well. Um, but the Saints made two moves in their secondary that I definitely like. Veteran guys, playmakers, have a knack for getting interceptions, and we'll see what they can do with the, the, you know, the, the stretch winding down here and with playoffs coming up very soon. Now, after the break, I'm going to talk about the injury report, what it means for the outlook of this team on Sunday, give my keys to victory when the Saints play the Titans, and my prediction for who's coming out on top on Sunday. All that coming up right after this short message. And we're back inside Big Easy in the Big Apple. Once again, it's Chris Rosvoglu. Follow me on Twitter at Rosvoglu Report. Subscribe to my YouTube page, Big Easy in the Big Apple. Very simple. And then Saints underscore podcast on Instagram. Follow those. I'll follow you guys all back, except for YouTube, because there really is no other way. Unless you have your own page, I'll gladly subscribe to you there. But let's talk about that injury report and what was going down, what looked good, what looked bad. Um, negative, no Von Bell, no Cha Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, which, by the way, he was so good by the line of scrimmage on Monday. I think the Saints have really found where he plays uh, well. Um, but they're not there. Positive, Kiko Alonso's back, which means the Saints should be at 100% in the linebacking corps, which is really big. Um, and Larry Warford did not practice, but there's always a positive of things like that. Larry Warford went down, and the, the immediate concern was, is his season over? Well, it doesn't look like his season's over. And for them to not put him on IR means they have a pretty strong belief that he'll be back for the playoffs. And on the on the positive side here, Andrews Pete's back at practice after breaking his arm. You know, five weeks ago, I believe it was. Um, and, and everyone's so quick to say he stinks, he's not good. His worst game happened in the game where he broke his arm. He played through a broken arm. Don't you think the guy's going to struggle? I mean, you literally need to use your arms to block. One of them was broken. He still played through the rest of the game. And yeah, he struggled against the Falcons, but I'm not ready to write him off. Um, and the other plus side for this, is similar to the way I spoke about Eli Apple. Eli Apple has to play well because Eli Apple's on a contract year. Same is said for Andrews Pete. You want that money, play well. And I think that's something that's really going to help out the Saints. You're going to, not only are you motivated, 
from last year's loss. You have guys for individual reasons that need to play well. And I know it's a team sport and individual reasons will only get you so far, but it does add um, you know, an extra factor to this team and it lights a little fire under every single player on that. So Andrews Pete back, Warford out. But looking ahead, you should have a healthy offensive line for the playoffs with guys like Patrick Omame and Nick Easton with experience off the bench. You know, God forbid someone goes down. So, I mean, I think I like where the Saints stand in that department. Um, I like that Cam Jordan's off the injury report. I think that's a positive. Um, and again, I think the only negative here is that Von Bell is out. People ask me about Gardner Johnson. Is he going to play? Is he not? I don't think so because the reality is you play on Monday, you lose a day from concussion protocol, whereas Cook had Monday and Tuesday. Um, I just don't see him playing. If he does, then, you know, good for him. That means he got through the protocol pretty well. But I don't know. It's, it's really going to be tough. Now, before I get into my predictions real quick, let's just go through some questions and see what you guys had to say um, and, and go through them real quick. So we got one saying Saints going to let Eli Apple go now that they have Jenkins. Well, I mean, probably should have been Saints. Are the Saints going to? But that person didn't. But that's fine. Anyway, no. I mean, Apple is here until the offseason. You're going to evaluate him, see what he's worth. I think his value drops a little bit with the way he played, which is good for the Saints. You might be able to get him for cheaper. Um, but it's 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 crunch time for him. Perform well or lose your job. And with three weeks left, and really two weeks, excuse me, until the playoffs, it's time to go. And, and Eli has to play well or he's going to um, lose his job. Next one, do you think Drew Brees will retire before or after Tom Brady? I'm going to say, oh my God, this is tough. I'm going to say after. I was so hell-bent on saying before for the last couple of seasons, and then I see the way Drew's playing, and he's playing so well, and the team's built to win for multiple years. The question is how good you know how good can Breeze sustain? You know, how good is he going to be? How long can he sustain this success? Um, I'm going to say after because there's a strong chance Brady calls it quits after this year. I'm going to say it again. Brady's not playing good football. He's been under 60% for the last five games of this completion percentage. He's struggling to hit guys. Everyone's quick to blame it on the receivers, but Tom's not seeing the field well. He's having one of his worst, if not his worst season ever. I don't know. I could see Tom retiring after this year. Um, but if the Saints win the Super Bowl and Drew sits there and looks over his options and says, I have literally accomplished everything, I could see him walking away, but I could also see him coming back for one more year to say, I got my ring. Now I'm going to enjoy the records part of this and tell TB12 to basically screw off. You're not getting the passing touchdowns number, which is definitely possible. But I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to say after and I'm going to stick with that. Uh, next one, don't you think we should be worried about Tennessee? AJ Brown and Derrick Henry really could pose a problem to this defense. Yeah, look, I'm going to talk about that. And those are the two guys I actually highlighted for my analysis there. So I'm going to give you a little bit more in depth uh, in a couple of minutes. But I agree. That's a really good uh, observation there. Those two have been really good playmakers. But don't forget Tannehill either. He's been really good, and it's been shocking, and I'll, I'll discuss what he's been doing right um, in a little bit, but they've been very good playmakers for Tennessee. Connor asks, how do you feel about the Saints acquiring the two-seed based on their schedule and the Packers' schedule? It's gut-check time. I mean, the Saints got to win their last two games, which doesn't seem bad, but they need to win their last two games, and now you need the Packers to drop one. I'm going to let you guys in on a little spoiler here. The Packers are not going to lose the last game of the season. They're playing the Detroit, Detroit Lions. They're either going to be coming off a big win and saying, let's finish the strong, or they're going to be coming off a loss and they're going to beat the crap out of the Lions. So it comes down to, are they going to lose to the Vikings on the road? I think it's a 50-50 shot. Do you trust Kirk Cousins to win a Monday night football game? He's 0-8 all time on Monday night. That scares me. So if you're a Saints fan who's saying, we need to get the two seed, I don't know the odds of that happening. Um, 
but we'll see. I, I do think, though, that the Saints have a legitimate shot. If they take care of their business on Sunday, everyone can relax and just watch the Vikings game and, and cheer Minnesota on. Um, so I'm going to say there's a 50-50 shot, maybe, at them getting the 2C. Maybe a little bit under 50, but it's definitely there's definitely a legitimate chance they get that 2C. Um, now we go to uh, Ezra asking about the primetime game. He says they came together, played their most complete game. Uh, now they go to play a hot Titans team. Do you think this gives them confidence going into the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think something that was different from this team compared to last year's is they kind of fanned off towards the end and they didn't play well. And everyone's saying Drew's arm was tired. Um, you know, the, and the O-line was depleted. No one spoke about that, but Ramchek was hurt. Armstead was hurt. Unger was hurt. I mean, three fi- and Pete, he broke his wrist for crying out loud. Four fifths of their O-line was hurt. Um, and no one spoke about that. And I get that, you know, O-linemen are always, you know, they're always banked up, but the Saints really went into that hampered. And then no one said about how tired Drew Brees' arm was. And now you look at this year, he's got five less games. He's got a lot more mileage on that arm. I don't know. I, I think the Saints are in a prime spot uh, right now. And I think if they win the last two games of the season and they get a two seed or even a one seed, because the honestly, if the Packers lose a game, the one seed's on the table for the Saints. It really is. Good luck. And I, I don't mean this for the Saints. I mean for other teams, good luck. Because if you give them an extra week to prepare, more time for Drew to rest that arm even further, He's going to be slinging that rock down the field. I don't think people realize how much that really helps. Next up, would Breeze be number one all time if he had three rings coming into this year? And where does Jenkins rank uh, on the depth chart for Saints corners? So one, if Breeze had multiple rings, I think he'd be ranked two because at the end of the day, six rings for Brady, six rings. Uh, But if he had three rings, I think he'd be ranked two all time. And you could at least make the argument for one because you can use the multiple rings factor. But he doesn't, and it's not here yet. And maybe he gets a second one. I hope he does. Um, but until then, answers no. But if he had those, I don't think he'd be number one. As for Jenkins, I mean, I think he's the second most talented corner on the Saints. And it's it's the reason I'm hesitant to say that is there is no lack of talent in Eli Apple. The kid is really talented. It's a confidence issue. And then he doesn't turn his head around. His mechanics get choppy. His technique gets sloppy. And all of a sudden, you see him giving up big plays down the field. I really think that's the issue. From a talent perspective, Eli's just as talented as everyone else. Confidence is is a problem. Lattimore gets beat, and he doesn't let that affect him. He still thinks in his mind he's the best cornerback in football. So the next play, he's gonna make he's gonna make a big uh, stop for his defense. Can't say the same about Eli. So yeah, I'll put Janoris number two. Uh, Jack asked opinion on uh, Demario Davis being stuffed for the Pro Bowl. I think it's ridiculous, but I also think the Pro Bowl is ridiculous. Um, I think that. It, we obviously know it's a fan vote thing. The Ravens had 12 Pro Bowlers. I know they got a good team, but 12 Pro Bowlers? I mean, that means a fourth of your team is making the Pro Bowl. That's a little weird. Um, but yeah, I, I really don't know. I, I think the Pro Bowl is ridiculous. We know what DeMario is. He's one of the five best linebackers in football. Should he have been in? Yes. Do I care that he's not? Not really, because I think the Pro Bowl is a joke. And who knows? Maybe he's playing in the Super Bowl. Fingers crossed. Uh, Matthew said injuries are mounting. Seeing a lot of press on how bad the pass rush was. Thoughts on that? Yeah, it was bad. The pass rush did nothing. The only times they got pressure is when they did a design blitz, whether that be Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Demario Davis up the gut. They are going to have to scheme ways to get pressure because you don't have Davenport and you don't have Rankins. On the flip side, if I'm going to put on my optimistic lens here and say why it didn't happen, they're not going to face a better O-line than the Colts. The Titans don't have a better O-line. The Panthers do not have a better O-line. If they play the you know the Niners or the Seahawks or the Packers, they do not have a better O-line. 
Maybe the Cowboys do from a talent standpoint, but the Colts O-line is very good, and that is a reason for why they struggled on Monday night. Um, next up, Matt, do you think it is more likely to replace Apple with Jenkins or will he be placed in the slot? I think both, um, kind of like reiterating the point here, but I definitely think both um, for that one. Um, I really do think that's going to be what's going to happen. I think you're going to put Apple on the outside, Janoris in the slot, and then once Apple struggles, you, you kick Janoris out wide and you see what happens. And last one, I'm doing this just for jokes. My friend Susumu asked, how will Derrick Henry wreck the defense and win people their fantasy football championships? Well, here's the thing. If he doesn't wreck the defense, he's going to wreck your fantasy football championship because you are going to be screaming why you left him in there. But Derrick Henry might have a good game. He's been fantastic this season for the Titans. And with that said, let's go into Saints-Titans talk. What's going to be the difference and what's going to be the key to this game? And let's start off with the big man, Derrick Henry, what he's been able to do this year. Derrick Henry was often considered just a you know a bruiser back, nothing to him. Well, he's having a career year in a contract year, which makes sense. He has been dynamic, 4.9 yards per carry. He's up to 1,329 rushing yards, and he's got 15 total touchdowns on the season. The man is a beast. And if you go over his last couple of games, he's been great. And this is with a hammy injury. He's got 86 rushing yards, 103, 149, 159, 188. Those are ridiculous numbers. And he gets better as the season goes on because he's bigger, everyone's tired, and he just punishes defenders that are not willing tacklers. That's the key. So, can the Saints limit Henry? Well, let me tell you something. When they do, the the Titans end up losing games where Henry doesn't play well. He didn't have a great game against the Texans. They lost. He didn't have a great game against, I believe, the Broncos. Yeah, 15 for 28. They lost that one. Didn't have a great game against the Bills. They lost that game. Didn't have a great game against the Jaguars the first time around. They lost that game. Had a great game the second time around. They won by multiple scores. It's common sense here. When he plays well, this team wins. And Ryan Tannehill gets a lot of credit, and he deserves it. And I'll talk about him in a minute. But Derrick Henry is that driving force of the Titans offense that has somehow become one of the best in the league. You stop Derrick Henry, you have a good chance of winning this game. And that's on everyone. And that's why losing Von Bell and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson for this game does hurt. But if Kiko's out there, and you can throw Kiko Alonso and Demario Davis and AJ Klein and Manti Teo and the big guys up front like Shai Tuttle and Onyemata and Malcolm Brown, the Saints got to wear him down. And don't let him get to the outside because you're Marcus Williams couldn't tackle George Kittle. You think he's going to tackle Derrick Henry? No shot. He couldn't tackle Stephon Diggs. He's going to tackle Derrick Henry? Not going to happen. And that's not a knock on Marcus. He's a fantastic safety. But tackling is not his forte. It never has been. never will be. But let's move forward. Stopping Derrick Henry, that's key number one. Number two, take away A.J. Brown. Easier said than done. One of the best young uh, rookies in the league. I think he's the best rookie wide receiver right now. His numbers are absolutely out of this world. He's got 893 receiving yards, seven touchdowns. He's going to have 1,000 by the end of this year. He just will. And a lot of his plays are over the top. And that's the, the concern. Tannehill likes to push the ball down the field. Leading the league in yards per attempt since he's been there. The Saints, though, are actually in the top 10 in yards per attempt given up. So it's kind of like a battle between strengths here. The Saints, everyone you know, thinks that they're known for giving up big plays. That hasn't been the case this year. It really hasn't. Now, they've been burnt by an occasional big play, but they're not constantly getting beat over the top. The Titans, they are literally telling you that they're going to try and beat you over the top. And if you can limit that, and especially limit A.J. Brown, you have a very good shot at winning this game. 
I know Corey Davis is a big name. I know Adam Humphreys gets paid well. Although Adam Humphreys is injured, who knows if he plays? A.J. Brown is the key. You stop him, or at least limit him, and Tannehill is going to be looking around. You take away a quarterback's favorite option, he's got to start surveying the field differently. And for a guy like Tannehill who's been such a rhythm the last couple weeks, knock him out of it. Take Brown out and force him to go somewhere else. The Texans couldn't do it. A lot of other teams haven't been able to do it. The Raiders couldn't do it a couple weeks ago. Saints have a chance. Put Lattimore on Brown. Don't give me that crap where because he's not a big name, you don't play straight up Lattimore shadowing the best receiver. Put Lattimore on Brown, let him go to work, and let him change that whole ball game um, for the Saints for the better because stopping him is huge. Next up that I want to talk about is the pass rush, and it's big. Tennessee's got a decent O-line. I wouldn't say they're as good as the Colts, but they're good. You have to get Tannehill off his spot. Tannehill has been comfortable slinging the ball down the field, but you can't sling the ball down the field if you got people in your face. And I think this is where blitzing is going to come into effect. The Titans are, like I said, they're pushing the ball down the field, but it's not like they have a bunch of world beaters. They're getting the ball to Brown down the field. They're occasionally getting Davis down the field. Sometimes John Smith is getting down the field. But you get Tannehill running out, force some pressure on him, make him make a throw with a defender in his face, I think you have a chance to force a turnover or two in this game. I really do. Um, and I know the Saints didn't have a chance to pick off Brissett on Monday night. I think if you can get in Tannehill's face, you're really going to have a, a chance to pick him off once or twice here. He's been really good. I think he's deserved a, a decent contract after this year. He really has earned it. But the Saints have to – you have to beat him here. If the Texans did it and they played decently well for the first half, the Saints have to play well on Sunday against Ryan Tannehill. And my last key in this one might be more important than all of them, except for the Derrick Henry one, is how do the offensive line, how do they handle the literal changing of the guards? Um, you might have Easton at right guard, Andrews Pete at left, or Pete at right and Easton at left, or whatever you want to call it. Warford's not playing. New, it's just going to break into you guys from now. If he plays, I would be stunned. I, I think he's out. So, yeah, you don't have Easton there. Uh, you don't have uh, Warford there, excuse me. You put Easton at right guard probably um if i had to guess how do the people uh you know how does the whole line handle it how does pete handle returning to the lineup that's going to be a big key for this game uh, it's gonna be really interesting to see and if they can handle that front that has a lot of talented playmakers on it i think they're going to be in really good shape but that's important because the titans have the guys up front that can really wreck a game and i know they're not going to be the flashy ones, but they really do have it. Um, Correa's been really good. I love Rashawn Evans, a linebacker, talented kid. Um, you also have Jarrell Casey, who's a known name. You've got Harold Landry, but you also have guys in the secondary, like Kevin Byard, who's one of the best safeties, former safety Kenny Vaccaro. It's going to be interesting. So I, I really do think it's going to be a fun matchup and see how that O-line handles another change up front and handles the return of Pete because Pete does struggle in a lot of areas, but he's so athletic. This might be the return of that swing game that the Saints like to use with Kamara. Get him out wide, get him in space, and let 41 do what he's best at. But that's going to be really fun to watch what happens in that department. Now, prediction time for Saints, Titans. What's going to happen? What's going to go down? I'm going to rock with the Saints. Um, I know I usually rock with the Saints anyway, but I really do think this is a game where it's a prove-it test. They just came off their best game. And for them to do that after having a dramatic loss to the Niners shows that this team is mentally tough. Um, they don't take days off. They took their day off. It happened against Atlanta. And since, they've been a really good team. Played well against the Panthers offensively. Played really well defensively against the Falcons. Played well offensively against the Niners. And then gave a complete game against the Colts. Give me more of that. 
if they can go into the playoffs winning their last three games, I really think we're going to be looking at this team saying this might be the year. So prove it on Sunday on a short week coming off a you know historical uh, emotional win over the Colts. Beat the Titans who have, are still red hot. Don't take that loss and throw it out the window. This is a red hot Titans team that had a chance at the end of the game to beat the, the uh, Houston Texans. Don't dismiss them. That said, give me number nine on rest. Give me the Saints defense that gets Kiko Alonso back. And give me Michael Thomas against a Tennessee defense that just got shredded by Hopkins. I like that matchup a lot. I think Michael Thomas, I'm going to go as far as say this. Michael Thomas, at the minimum, is going to tie the record um, for receptions in a single season. He needs, I believe, 11 to tie, 12 to break it. I think he at least ties it. So I might as well go all the way here. I'm going to say Michael Thomas breaks it with 13 catches against the Tennessee Titans. I honestly believe he's going to have another great game, and we're going to see this team win 27 to 21. If they do that, then all aboard the Vikings train when they play the Packers on Monday night. But that's going to do it for this episode of Big Easy in the Big Apple. I want to thank you guys again for listening. I want you to enjoy the rest of your week. Have an excellent weekend. And let's hope the Saints are able to pull out another tough win against the Tennessee Titans this Sunday.